0: to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Awfully excited about this hour. Pastor Sean Winters will be joining me in just a minute. I just uh, Googled his name. Do you know that he's on the Internet? That must be pretty impressive for him. I'll have to tell him. And we're going to talk about suffering, and I'm looking at all these verses, and I'm just thinking, my, oh, my. Um, Let's see. 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of them. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Colossians one twenty four says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church." Galatians 6, 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. There's lots of suffering going on today. People are in a difficult position, and I just want you to know how much I I care for you if you're suffering, and if you're upside down financially, if you're upside down uh, in your work, and you just don't know what's ahead. And if you're trying to care for a um, a parent or a, or a grandparent or somebody who's isolated and you know the restrictions and the difficulties, if you've got disappointed kids that have just gone through a graduation with no graduation, and you know, all those things add up to a lot of disappointment, and it can feel like suffering, and it's uh, temporary. God is with us through all of this, and Pastor Sean Winters is going to join in and, and uh, weigh into the conversation. He is the senior pastor at Calvary Church. Sean, nice to have you in.
1: Bill, it's always good to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So, did you have any uh, any kids uh, this spring that are missing out on big stuff?
1: Um, I, I do. We had uh, two kids in college, one in high school, um, one who's gainfully employed outside of, out of that, and he worked from home. But, uh, you know, the other kids, you know, that the semester got shut down, and kids were sent home. So... Mom and dad got to see a lot more of them, Um, (laughs) but they they had to give up a lot of fun times with friends and dorm life or high school sports. Um, It was challenging. Yeah.
0: And Sean, a lot of people have felt a little blindsided by everything that's been going on and you know what's been going on and it's created uh, pockets of suffering that have been really unexpected and it doesn't surprise God at all, but it certainly is challenging for so many.
1: Yeah, when you think about the way um, the world has been affected by coronavirus, and then each of our communities, particularly Minneapolis, about the racial tension, protests, and riots, mm-hmm. and and now we're having you know questions about the future of the police force here. Um, you know, these are all really big things that cause us to feel chaos. Um, certainly, suffering. We suffer for others, but we also suffer in our own uh, in our own experience, and then. We just add the regular stuff. Like you did a great kind of synopsis or a covering of all the things we can face illness, joblessness, caring for parents. Um, and then there's that personal stuff where, we, you know, in, in social distancing, I find that you lose about 80% of communication, right, when oh, you just least. deal with email. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, email conversations or um, phone conversations, things get missaid, and misunderstandings happen, and, and and then we have conflict, and we can't get together and even resolve it. So, there are there are things that people face. I think particularly in this season that are new and different than another time.
0: And then I think of the the several months where we have not gathered as the body of Christ in church and worship. Now we've done it online. But you know yeah. you're sh- you're shepherding a shepherding a church body and family, and there is something so horrifically lost in the loss of contact.
1: Yeah, it, it really is true, and and um, I, I know that the you know the average person who's a part of a church feels that loss. They they want to come, they want to worship, they want to see their friends. That that's a real sense for people that that's their family, um, that's their connection point. And then, as a pastor, yeah, I, I tell people I get um, all of the challenging things of being a pastor, and I don't get any of the fun things, like being <laughs> together with people. So yeah. I, I'm dealing with email all week, but I don't get to celebrate on a Sunday. Um, I preach on a on a weekday evening. They say clear, I'm done recording that. I walk off the platform by myself.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a completely different experience, but. You continue to deliver the God's word, and people are cons, yeah. are consuming. Uh, there's a lot people, a lot of people that are are seeking out uh, churches online because they they want to hear a message of hope.
1: Yeah. Yep. And it is it's great to see the ways that people in our congregation have been sharing it with others, um, or the people who we are, are very new to us who have been uh, tuning in and watching and responding to the good news of Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. So what have what have been your messages the last couple of weeks?
1: Uh, we've been working our way through Ephesians and uh, been talking about relationships, and it's kind of a good time to talk about relationships, how to do relationships well, and, and sometimes the distancing makes that a challenge, but sometimes the closeness of family intensity of everybody stuck at home together can also make that very challenging. So... We're, we're looking the Word of God to give us wisdom.
0: Yeah, what are we learning out of Ephesians? I'm real curious.
1: Um, we're, we're learning that uh, we, we need to depend upon Christ. We need to be gracious with each other. Um, you know, we're looking at the, that challenging section on husbands and wives the last couple of weeks. Verse 21 says, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. And uh, just the idea of what does mutual submission look like coming out of um The challenge of being filled with the Spirit and and the many marks of being filled, and one of those is towards God, and the other is towards each other in relationship, and some of it's in our own heart of being thankful um, out of, uh, let's see, verse 19 and 20, giving thanks to God for everything in the name of the Lord Christ, and then verse 21, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ, and that kind of sets the stage for His instructions for husbands and wives. Then, parents and kids, and then we 'll finally talk about employees and bosses, so yeah, join us this would be uh, this will be fun conversations
0: mm-hmm. um, chapter five i love says being imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, we live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I just yeah. praying uh, every day that we have. Um, more love in the world, because it's a condition of the heart. You're either loving or you're not. And for those who are hating and not loving, uh, that's part of the problem we're having in our world right now,
1: and always has. Yeah, and and I think as believers in Jesus Christ, we we don't have any free passes on the hard work of loving. Um, You know, Paul is challenging them, follow God's example, I think this might be the only time Scripture actually says that we're follow the example of God, mm-hmm. um, and, and when He describes what that looks like, it looks like love. Um, Christ loved us. We need to soak that in, and then we need to allow that to pour out through us to other people because because um, our our world desperately needs that love.
0: Mm-hmm. And I love the uh, in verse uh, thirty two of chapter four. This is a memory verse. Since the since for thirty years, I've memorized this. Be kind and compassionate <laughs> to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. This whole idea of being kind and and tender hearted and compassionate—what a powerful message for today!
1: It is, it is, and in this topic of suffering, um, if in the midst of suffering we were more grace filled, you know, with the, with the forgiveness and the grace. That Jesus Christ poured out on us. That would um, that that would speak to our own hearts, and it would speak to the hearts of others. Um, mm-hmm. That we would operate not out of being offended, not out of what did they say and what did they mean,
2: right? <laughs> but
1: the grace of Jesus Christ, who looked down from the cross and said, "Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing." Yeah, um, we we just kind of focus on they don't know what they're doing, <laughs> right? <laughs> Rather than this idea. God would you forgive them and and make me a vessel of that forgiveness because of all that I've received.
0: Mhm. Sean, when you talk to someone who is clearly in a in a season of suffering and you you and your heart of hearts know that God will walk them through it and also get them to hopefully a a, a better a better side of that, how, what encouraging words do you have for them in that time? Or do you just kind of show up and love them where they're at?
1: Oh, that's a, that's a really good question, Bill. And I I think it's probably one of those, um, you know, those spots where you you really, you listen and you pray, you listen and you pray. And then, you know, as God prompts you, you you try to weigh in with some good advice and, and guide them a little bit that, that, that ministry of being there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I I don't want to short circuit that at all. That's really important. Um, But there's also a part where, where God has given us each other that we might encourage one another, build one another up, that we might um, help each other find that hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so, helping people understand that God hears and sees them is really important, um, to communicate that God cares Mm -hmm. for them in this, uh, that there's a real sense of when someone's going through suffering, they, they wonder if God sees them, and then if God cares about what they're facing. And, um, you know, that we, we can do a, I mean, you can say it in a trite way, but you can also, if you spend time listening and, and kind of entering into it with them, you can say in a way that just is a, you know, is a balm to the soul or is an encouragement to their heart. Um, and and that's, that's a a wisdom to know how best to do that. And, you know, patient understanding of what they're, they're, you know, not, not simplifying their suffering because, Years ago, I read uh, suffering has a tendency to, to affect everybody differently, um, and your suffering is suffering. It isn't that it's not as great or as significant. I think C.S. Lewis said, and you, you know, suffering isn't like in degrees. If you're suffering, you're suffering." Right. And you you need God in that. Um, sometimes people need a little perspective that that this isn't maybe to be all worked up about or to be so down and about, uh, down in the mouth about, but oftentimes it's just helping people find hope and a sense of God's presence in that.
0: Mm -hmm. Pastor Sean Winters is my guest. He's the senior pastor at Calvary Church. We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back with more. with pastor sean winters from calvary church and sean you know we talk about uh suffering and suffering uh, you know it goes out in many different directions some people get sad some people get depressed some people get frustrated um there's so many different emotions that are tied into suffering do you have any perspective on the different directions that suffering can take people
1: Yeah, that's interesting. It it is uh, interesting how it affects people in different ways. Um, I'm reading a book by a guy by the name of Boethius. It's called Consolation of Philosophy. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he wrote it in probably 500 A.D. And uh, so here's a guy that was a leader in the Roman Empire, um, and he rose to a, a position of great power, influence, and wealth. He was falsely accused, imprisoned, and from jail, it's kind of his prison epistle. From jail, he writes this book on the consolation of philosophy, which is kind of like lady wisdom out of Proverbs. But this this um, the, this woman comes to him and guides him into the truth of who God is and who he is and helps him look at his suffering. So it's just a really interesting read for me and how fitting some of the poetry and some of the words have been to the situation in Minneapolis this week, you know, that innocent people are downtrodden and the, the evil that happens, people get away with. And, and where do we stand and how do we deal with this? And, um, you know, the, the, this woman uh, philosophy or woman wisdom comes to him and asks him question about, you know, who's in charge? What's the purpose of human life? And and essentially moves to the place of already trusting God. Wow! So it, it, it's just a so far it's been a great read, and it, it's you know there's this emotional side of suffering, but there's also this cognitive side of suffering where we wonder what's going on and where's God and why am I? And that's where this book he's just challenging the thoughts of you know is God in charge? Was He in charge when things were good? Is he is he not in charge anymore? Was He surprised by this? And then it's moving the readers, moving both of us to the point where we're saying, you know, what's the purpose for man? And it's not to get blessed. It's not to have a good life, but it's to know God deeply. And perhaps this suffering is is for me to know God more deeply or maybe make me aware of some, the way someone else is suffering that I can advocate for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's really – um, it's probably a different level to say, you know, initially we, we are affected and depressed or hurt or disappointed by the suffering we're walking through. But if we turn our eyes and say, what's God's perspective on this? How can he use that in my life? You know, Romans eight twenty eight, God's working for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. Um, or, or how can God use this in my life? To be an advocate for others, yeah um, or or perhaps it's even the question of am I making poor choices, and I need to I need to choose differently because I'm running into the deep holes again and again, yeah, does, does that make sense?
0: It does make sense because even in the midst of all of our suffering, our suffering should be directed to him, not no. focused on us. I think we we spend too much time focusing on uh, us versus him because that's the world we live in but God is going to be giving us everything we need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So we take our suffering and we give it to him. And that's yeah. that's what I think I'm trying to work on more than more than anything. When you feel like uh, you, Sean, are in suffer a period of suffering, do you know how it manifests for you personally? Do you get down? Do you get moody? Do you get uh <laughs> do you, do you engage yeah. with people and say I'm kind of—I have to be honest, I'm a little bit in a funk right now, and I need I need some uplifting. I need you to pray for me. I mean, what proactive—what do you do?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I, I think I tend to retreat. Okay. So um, this, this season has been really good for me in that um, my wife and I have been taking long walks, and I shared this with my congregation a couple of weeks ago, that, you know, we've been doing three in the morning and two in the afternoon, so five miles a day, which is really good health-wise. But it's been really helpful in this time where um, there has been some suffering, where I can just unpack that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I lock in, and I just kind of get my work done. I tend to stuff that suffering, and, and I need a place to, to express that and, and talk not only about the issues and the questions that it brings, but just the emotions of it. But the, the, How about you, Bill? Is it, is it something where you automatically go and share, or do you think it's something that you kind of just handle on the inside as well?
0: I think uh, initially I, I go I go inside, which is never that yeah. good. So then I realize that I'm getting nowhere. So I reach out to somebody and start processing. But I find that uh, sometimes I get levels of frustration, and I I know when I get frustrated, I do stupid things. Like today, I was talking to yeah. someone in a customer service situation. And it, there was clearly a situation where they needed to make something right, and they didn't, and and it wasn't at all satisfactory. And I found myself getting uh, borderline rude because yeah. I was I was feeling like, all right, I, I've I've got to win this one, and it was a, a complete disaster.
1: <laughs> right. I hung well, up. Well, they, they they clearly needed help getting their job right, so you were just there right, to help them. Right, right. So then.
0: <laughs> then then after 10, 10 minutes, I, I called back, and I apologized for my behavior, I, my, my attitude, my tone. I said I was emotional, and I, and I shouldn't have responded the way I did, and I just apologized from my yeah. side of the street. So, um, And then it was no, inf- that, that... incredible the way their tone changed, too. Then all of a sudden, we had, we had a kind of a nice little moment. But, um, you know, at least I was convicted quickly. Yeah, because I go. How do yeah. I host a Christian radio show when I just have this really unpleasant interaction, and I'm <laughs> chewing into someone in customer service? Yeah, right. <laughs> how, how do I pass? Don't through, agree with how me how so fast. A
1: large church and and still struggle in these really really rude ways. Yeah, exactly. No, I get
0: that. Exactly. You know what I'm talking about, don't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, you know it's easy to see in other people, but we put the mirror up and say, you know, what's going on in my heart and and why am i acting this way here it's probably because you know there's unresolved issues over here and and a lot of times it is around suffering and suffering can be real suffering or it can be pre- presumed suffering uh it can be disappointment it can be just the, the weight of all the responsibilities mm-hmm. um, and just feeling like man i just can't carry this load and um and then it yeah it spurts out in some way and you're like what in the world was that about
0: yeah, it's it's embarrassing, and I go back to Second Corinthians uh, four seventeen for our light and momentary troubles are yeah. achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Isn't that a powerful verse?
1: Yeah, I, I just um, I've gone to that many times and just think, you know, what are you talking about? Light and momentary? Come on, right. yeah, give me a break. This is right. this is not. But but it, it's one of those. Um, yeah, it changes your perspective, it changes your view um, in a really good way, saying, Lord, I, I need to just lean into you on this, because, you know, by comparison, you know, that we, we've not suffered the point of Christ who gave His very life for us.
0: hmm um, You know, and Sean, five nanoseconds in heaven is going to make everything look light and momentary.
1: That's right. And that's he, right. He, it, is, it is achieving for us something that, that far outweighs at all. Mm-hmm. And, and and there's so much about, I mean, I, I don't want to discount the weight of suffering. Um, the, the things that people are carrying are enormous, and they really weigh down the human heart. And, and yet, we also, in the midst of that, need that perspective that says, hey, God sees me, God cares, and God has something that far outweighs even the burden I'm carrying today. Mm-hmm. And, and I hope that that I can get that, you can get that, and those that are listening can understand a little bit of that.
0: Yeah. I love James 1.12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So, you know, again, I'm reminded that so many pages of Scripture are, is a suffering person writing to other suffering people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there is this... Uh, it, this. You've read read a number of scriptures, and I've pulled up some that just say this is kind of part of what it means to be human. Oh, absolutely. Um, We we live in a fallen world. Satan is at work. Um, There's evil men and women that bring suffering on others. There are our own poor choices, and yet God sustains us, God strengthens us, God guides us, and God comforts us in the midst of our suffering.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, I just got a couple of unbelievably kind and uh, encouraging notes from listeners. Uh, just thanking us for sharing our struggles. So I guess it helps. It helps when we just let our guard down and tell people what we do in real life.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it was uh, in Ephesians, I was talking about what it means to be uh, filled with the Spirit in chapter 5. And, and he talks about, don't be drunk with wine, but, you know, uh, be filled with the Spirit. And part of that is that when when I'm going through suffering or difficulties, that I began to cut off from God, and I need to reopen my life to God and yeah. and be sensitive to His His strengthening that He wants to offer. Yeah.
0: Thanks so much for doing the show, Sean. Nice to hear from you and talk to you.
1: Have a great rest of the Always day. Always a pleasure. Yep. All right. Thank yep. you, Bill.
0: Sean Winters has been my guest. He's the senior pastor at Calvary Church. You can go to calvarychurch.us to see his good-looking picture. We'll take a little break, and then we'll come back, Jared C. Wilson. Glad to be welcoming back Jared C. Wilson. He's an assistant professor of pastoral ministry at Spurgeon College. And he has uh, authored many books. Your Jesus is Too Safe, Gospel Wakefulness, The Imperfect Disciple. I could go on and on. He lives in Kansas City with his uh, wife Becky and his two beautiful daughters. But uh, today I'm going to talk about a book called The Gospel According to Satan. (laughs) Eight lies about God that sound like the truth. Great title, Jared, and welcome to the show.
3: Thanks so much, Bill. Thanks for having me, brother.
0: This is a, a provocative title. I don't know if it's one your publisher came up with or this was your idea, but I like it so far.
3: Yeah, you know, it's actually one of the few um original titles that that stuck. Usually the publishers are wanting to change what you've what you've used, but this is one of the rare times where they went with my working title, so I was I was happy about that. I
0: love that. So let's uh, jump into the book a little bit, because I know my listeners are real anxious to hear more. So let's talk about some of the lies. Like, lie number one, God just wants you to be happy.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think the the problem with the statement as it is, is the word just, <laughs> that God just wants you to be happy. Mm-hmm. I've heard some people say, you know, is God disinterested then in in, in my happiness and Certainly, um, you, you'd have to avoid large swaths of Scripture to think that God cares nothing about uh, your, you know, your happiness. But the idea that God only cares or just cares about your happiness um, is really um, at, at, at odds with um, so much of the other um, aspects of, of biblical testimony, where he, He's actually more concerned with our holiness, that we become more like His Son, which you know necessarily entails this side of, of, of the Lord's return, um, suffering and and hardship, and in the midst of those things, it would be abnormal to be happy. You know, the normal human experience when things are painful is to, to is to be sad, and there's nothing wrong or sinful about that. The what I try to do in that chapter is is, is show how the Lord is not disinterested in our happiness, but He's more interested in our joy, that we would actually have a um, deeper-rooted joy in Him, regardless of what's happening in in our circumstances.
0: When I think of a passage out of Acts chapter 5, it says, After calling the disciples in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name.
3: That's exactly right. You know, I think you know happiness is so often contingent on what is happening around us or to us. Um, and and again, when when happy things happen, we should be happy. When sad things happen, uh, we can be sad. But the joy of the Lord is something that has a deeper root to it. It's it's not about uh, purely emotion. It's about our affections and you know our internal disposition. Um, and and our connection to God Himself, who doesn't change and whose love is never revoked from us. So, in in that chapter, I'm really just trying to kind of you know come at the idea that all God cares about is um, you know that you get everything you want and and the decisions you make are what you know ultimately please you. And what I'm trying to advocate for is is people you know rejecting that kind of superficial emotionality. And choosing that whatever the Lord chooses for you know for us uh, will not rob our joy because Christ really did come to make our joy complete. Uh,
0: well said, Jared. I um I've been my heart's been heavy last uh, day or so when I heard that uh, Pastor Tim Keller has pancreatic cancer.
3: Yeah, not awful.
0: Yeah, it is terrible, and I I didn't like hearing that. But there was a comment he made on his uh, Twitter feed, which I found uh, extremely powerful, and now I'm trying to find it, of course, and I can't find it quickly, but um, he made mention that one of the things that he would ask you to pray for would be for him to be a weaned away from the things of this world and to be um, just more content in Jesus, which I thought was a powerful, powerful message.
3: It- it really is. You know, we're hoping that this, uh, he's been diagnosed with w- with pancreatic cancer that, you know, is caught soon enough. Um, you know, he wasn't symptomatic and, and it was one of those incidental, um, mm-hmm. you know, catches, I guess. Yeah. They, you know, just, you know, discovered it through some other kind of routine procedure or some other reason he was in the doctor for. The, the last saint that I had the privilege of burying in my last pastorate, um, died of pancreatic cancer. And her, her experience was like that. Um, you know, she, uh, in, in her last weeks wanted me to read more and more from the scriptures, uh, from Ecclesiastes Mm -hmm. and, uh, and revelation. And so much of it was her gaze was turning to the hope of heaven and and the eternality of, um, you know, of, of being with the Lord, um, forever, and it's just, you know, it, it changes your perspective to, you know, to have a loved one, you know, go through something like that, that when you hear about, you know, someone else who who you admire, and again, you know, I, I, I hope that, um, you know, he beats the odds here with the um, with the Lord's help, but, um, you know, he's certainly one who has helped many of us turn our gaze to heaven, and, and so we'll certainly be praying for him.
0: Mm-hmm. But there's something about what's in the heart's vault, that joy that can't be um, disrupted, which is That's right. so powerful. So lie number two um, is a little bit like lie number one. That You, you only live once. Uh, so <laughs> live it up.
3: <laughs> That's right. It is similar. Um, it's, it's kind of along the lines of those, you know, eat, drink and be merry kind of, um, you know, it's the new, the new variation of eat, drink and be merry. Uh, basically, you know, get as much pleasure as you can, um, you know, live the life exactly the way you want it, um, you know, to the limit now, uh, because this is it. This is all there is. And of course, we um, as believers in Christ know that this is just a blip on the radar. I mean, you may live 120 years, but even that would be just a blip on the radar of eternity. And, um, you know, Jesus himself warned those who heard him to say, you know, don't just fear him who can take your body, Uh, Fear Him who can destroy your body and your soul, meaning there are worse things than dying, Um, which, you know, the implications of that is there's more that comes after. Death is not the end of the story. And so we ought to fear the second death more than we fear even the first death. None of us gets out of this life alive. Um, And yet those who are in Christ get to live forever um escaping that second death. And so in that chapter what I'm really trying to do is is help people understand that maximizing their, you know, fleshly pleasures and temporary happinesses um now as if this is all there is are not making an investment in what really matters, which is the age to come.
0: Mm-hmm. Well said. Jared, let me just back up to lie number one again, because that one was God just wants you to be happy. And I also think that there's sometimes parents that come along, well-meaning, well-intentioned parents that say the same thing to their kids. I just want you to be happy.
3: (laughs) Right. Well, and I think sometimes that's just a poorly phrased, um, you know, version of, I I want you to be safe. I want you to be healthy. I think any normal parent, you know, wants those things for their children because they Because they love their children. So I understand the meaning behind that, Um, you know, and and some of the phrases that I use um, that I call lies here, um, it's really about sometimes what is intended with them or what the popular conception of them is.
0: Um, Jared, let's uh, move on. I I I find this next lie, uh, you need to live your truth, so fascinating because I've never known anyone to really think for themselves I've I've always thought, <laughs> you know, because people say, "Well, I have to think for myself," and I always go, "No, you align yourself with some thinking that already exists in the world." Right?
3: That's exactly right. I mean, yeah, and you know that phrase has has become, you know, kind of part of the cultural lexicon, kind of through you know Oprah's influence mm-hmm. and some others, and 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 you hear it a lot, and. Um, you know, we've heard it a lot in the last couple of years, I think, as part of kind of the Me Too movement as well. And this is one of those, um, where depending on the intention, right? So when someone has been a victim of abuse, for instance, and when they say, I need to tell my story or I need to tell my truth, uh, essentially what they're meaning is I, I, you know, I can't, um, you know, hide this anymore. It's too hurtful um i have to you know walk in the light with this or bring this into the into the open mm-hmm. and in, in those cases we say um yeah you know you, you know, we, we totally understand that yeah. but there are others who use it as a way to kind of justify their own immorality or mm-hmm. their own bingo um you know departure from yep. god's standard and yep. and that's the real problem with the phrase because you know if you have a truth and i have a truth what happens when those truths are at odds with each other <laughs> it it kind of um it 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 betrays the idea that there's an objective truth or denies the idea that there's some objective external truth the lord's truth god's truth that actually we are beholden to um i, I think one of the best biblical examples of this is the book of judges right where mm-hmm. every, you know every man did what was right in their own eyes that's kind of the biblical version of you know, everyone living their own truth. <laughs> and the result, of course, is lots of perversion, lots of bloodshed, a lot of injustice. That's what happens when you, quote-unquote, live your own truth.
0: Jared, I don't want to take you down a rabbit hole on this one, but when you talk about you need to live your truth, which is obviously a, one of Satan's lies, um, I uh, sometimes uh, think about the word conscience which is con would be the Latin for with and science for facts. So it's with facts. So I always say, what are your facts? Cause you'll operate out of your conscience and your conscience is what your facts are. And my facts are this. So if I'm true to my conscience and I'm, I'm, I'm living out my truth, uh, you got to start with what are your facts? What are the facts in your head? Yeah. If I, I say, exactly if I say right. killing yeah. babies is wrong, uh, those, that's my conscience. That's, those are my facts.
3: Right. Well, and I think the, you know, one of the major problems with it, as you just pointed out is it, it's not really even based on facts. So often when someone says, I, I need to live my truth, what they're really saying is I need to live in, in the way that I prefer or the <laughs> way that, you know, that I personally, um, you know, feel pulled to, or in accordance with my own appetites or my own attractions, which really isn't the same thing as, as truth itself, uh, which is why they use that modifier. This is my truth, right? It may not be your truth, but this is my truth. And, you know, again, the problem arises when we have differing, you know, conceptions uh, of what is good for not just us, but for each other, for society. Um, you know, we can't live or we ought not to live as if there isn't an objective standard that tells us it's wrong to kill babies, for instance, or, you know, other things that that the Lord declares that um, when we go up against it, we do this sort of self-justification thing to say, well, this is my truth. I'm going to live my truth.
0: Mm-hmm. In other words, I want to live by by my particular sinful practices.
3: And me, <laughs> That's and, exactly and, right. And leave me alone. Yeah. I mean, it's idolatry. It's self-idolatry. Oh, is totally. It is. Totally. I, you know, I am the center of the universe. I define what is right and wrong, and I and, yeah. and and I'm going to live according to my own, you know, dictates. Um, you know, according to that.
0: Yeah, Jared, this is an important book you've written. Jared C. Wilson is my guest. The book is called "The Gospel According to Satan: Eight Lies About God That Sound Like the Truth." We're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back with uh, more with Jared. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Jared C. Wilson as my guest. Jared's written many books, and the one we're chatting about today is his newest one out called The Gospel According to Satan, Eight Lies About God That Sound Like the Truth. Again, a very provocative title, which I find fascinating. Um, Another lie that comes up uh, often is that your feelings are reality.
3: Yeah, it, it sounds similar to the you need to live your truth claim, but in that chapter, I'm really trying to encourage those who may be given to depression or um, some kinds of deep discouragement, because what I have discovered is that the enemy loves to come alongside you when you are laid low in suffering or hardship, or just you're under some dark cloud that you can't seem to shake. And the enemy loves to say things like, um, this is happening because God doesn't love you, or or you don't belong to God, um, or He, you know, the Lord is angry with you. God is angry with you about something. You're being punished for something. Or alternatively, um, you know, from my own experience, I know that um, the temptation sometimes is to think that how it is right now is how it's always going to be. I, I will never be outside of this darkness. I'll never be outside of this difficult time. It's almost like the funhouse mirror of suffering, uh, where things become distorted, our our vision becomes distorted. And so what I'm trying to do with that chapter is um, encourage those who, you know, may be going through some very difficult things to say, your feelings are important, your feelings tell you something important, uh, but they're not the whole story. And they don't tell you everything. And in fact, they don't um, always tell you the most important thing. Which is that if you're a believer, your condemnation is taken away. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So whatever difficulty you're going through, um, it's it's not because God is angry with you. He has um, satisfied His wrath um, out on the cross of Christ. Um, it's, if you're going through something difficult, it's not because He doesn't love you. Um, there may be some you know disciplinary. Uh, experience that you can undergo. You're becoming um, strengthened, or you're being drawn, ne- you know, closer to Him. Uh, but then the other thing is just to say that, um, you know, as Paul does about suffering, that compared to the eternal weight of glory, which is the ultimate reality and 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 true, th- whatever suffering we go through on this side, it, comparatively, is really what he calls a light, momentary affliction. And so I'm trying to um, encourage those who are discouraged or maybe even given to despair to help them see that, you know, your feelings are not, you know, unimportant, Uh, you know, your feelings are not irrelevant, and yet your feelings are not the whole story. There is a reality that is deeper um, and, and more sustaining that can actually carry you through very difficult times.
0: And Jared, that's a really important distinction you've made. So I appreciate you separating those two out. Yeah. um because there are so many people that, that their feelings are so intense and that they have then determined that is their reality when it's in truth it's not
3: yeah yeah you know i think it's especially a temptation for those who struggle with depression whether you know circumstantial or or even clinical um because it does it it it, it you know it messes with your mind it, it's a disordered kind of affections and you know, I know from experience as well that there are you know pits that you can be in that just feel so deep. You just think, I- I'll never be out of it. This is how it's always going to be. I'm always going to feel this way. And those who who follow that line of thinking just plunge further and further into despair, and and they forget that the you know the Lord's plans for us are are not despair. That you know the Lord's plans for us are not destruction. Um, and so we just have to combat, you know, how we interpret our feelings with the story of the gospel and, and the message of, of Christ.
0: All right, Jared, the next uh, lie I'd like to talk about might involve you doing a little bit more explaining, um, because I think it was maybe Doc Brown from Back to the Future or any other motivational speaker that would come out and say, your life is what you make it. And part <laughs> yeah. of that, Part of that sounds like an okay idea, right?
3: it it it's really about uh about sovereignty and about uh about pride right so you know certainly god has made us um we are fearfully and wonderfully made um every human being um whether they're a believer or not has incredible potential because of the specialness of our creation fallen though we are uh we have you know incredible potential for uh, creating things, and building things, and sustaining things. And the danger that we see from Genesis chapter 3 onward is how so often we use those things to make monuments to ourselves. Um, you know, the pursuit of of building, you know, bigger, better, even creating a legacy, uh, accumulation, all of that in order to, you know, prop up ourselves or to, um, center on ourselves all of that is really wasted time because it's essentially something that's going to rust and decay. So in that chapter, what I'm you know trying to kind of write against is the temptation to use the gifts and the ingenuity and intelligence that, that the Lord has given us by His common grace, um, to use those in service to ourselves, that that's really actually a, a failure to use them wisely. Um, but also just to see that, um, you know, our our lives are really what the Lord makes of them, that he is in control. Hebrews chapter one says that he is uh, upholding the universe by the word of his power. And so sometimes we can forget as we get stronger and more successful or more wealthy or whatever it is, we forget who's really on the throne. And that's kind of what I'm um, coming at with that chapter.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, This next uh, lie, which almost sounds like a cliche slash lie and I, every time I hear this, I cringe a little bit, which is you need to let go and let God. And to me, the picture is always, I'll get off the field entirely, get on the sidelines. God will get on the field entirely, and he'll do all the work.
3: Right. Well, you it's know, along with—yeah, along with line number eight, this may be one of the the most popular cliches uh, within the church. and And I've heard it from, you know, so many well-meaning believers— and this is one of those, you know, as we talked about earlier, depending on the intention. So when somebody says you need to let go and let God, and what they mean is you need to have more faith in, in God, or you need to trust the Lord more, then it's, you know, pretty innocuous. Although I think f- phrases like you need to trust the Lord more are, are better
2: <laughs> right?
3: Um, and, and, and more biblical. Uh, but oftentimes the circumstances or the context Um, you know, that uh, kind of elicit this phrase or precipitate this phrase, um, I think make it more problematic. So when someone is really struggling, really, really struggling with the will of God or uh, just some kind of decision that they need to make, or they're they're going through some kind of trial, they're suffering in some way, or they're in the midst of some kind of difficulty— and someone comes along and says you, you you need to let go and let god <laughs> it's it's bordering it's borderline meaningless it 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 doesn't it doesn't tell you what you need to do how exactly do i let go right how do i um what is it that i let go of um you know just it's completely impractical and it, and it sounds super spiritual and it's it kind of has embedded in it in that circumstance a kind of prosperity gospel which is like the reason you're going through this difficulty is because you haven't let go yet. And if you let go, then you'll be delivered from this thing, which is, again, kind of a prosperity gospel way mm-hmm. of thinking. And the root the root of this phrase, let, uh, let go and let God, comes from um, a kind of higher life theology. Something I explore in that chapter is the historical roots of the kind of higher life spirituality that gave rise to this thinking. The other problem with it, of course, that, that I also explore in the chapter is the idea of letting God do anything. The idea that you and I you know, let God do something um, kind of doesn't jibe with the idea that He is God, and He doesn't need our permission to do anything. He's not some impersonal force that is activated or released by us. Uh, he, is a, he is God. He is a personal God. Um, and he does, as the, as the scriptures say, You know, he is in his heaven and, and he does as he pleases. So you and I don't let him do anything.
0: Right. All right. We've just got a little bit of time left, uh, Jared. I'd love for you to talk a little bit of the autopsy of a lie.
3: The autopsy of a lie is sort of the conclusion to the book. I begin the book with a, a little introduction called The Anatomy of a Lie where I explore, you know, exactly what happened in the early pages of Genesis, where the serpent comes to tempt Eve, and by extension, Adam, and where the fall comes from. And we see in the anatomy of a lie kind of three different ways that sin tempts us. uh, What's forbidden tempts us. And we see that in that fruit. Eve saw that it was uh, pleasing to the eyes, that it was a delight to look at. It promised to satisfy her. It looked like it was good for food, so it promised to fill her, to fulfill her and um um, and it promised to make her wise, right? The serpent says, "You can be like god if you if you eat this thing." so it promises a kind of enlightenment. so it's beauty, fulfillment, and enlightenment. And my argument through the whole book is that whenever we believe in a lie, we're essentially choosing one of those three things. It appeals to us in some way. It delights our eyes some way. It promises to give us beauty. It promises to give us some kind of fulfillment, satisfaction, or it promises to enlighten us in some way. So when I come to the autopsy of a lie, what I'm doing is is looking at the corollary, the redemptive corollary of what happened in the garden, which is basically Christ in the wilderness. And the devil comes to tempt him. And it's really the same threefold. There's a parallel there, right? The, the three kind of temptations turn the the rocks into bread. Well, there's the the promise of food—you can be satisfied if you, you know, if you go the wrong way here, you can finally have your belly full. He shows them all the dazzling cities of the world. So there's the delight to the eyes. There's the beauty that's there. And at each point of those where where Adam fell, Christ does not. He he obeys the Lord. He withstands temptation, and that righteousness is credited to us. So that's what I say in the autopsy of a is Basically, how we understand how to get out of. This death, which is only through the good news of the grace we have in Jesus Christ, his cross and resurrection.
0: Mm. Jared, you write well and you communicate well. That's a rare combo. <laughs>
3: well, I appreciate that, Bill. Thank, yeah, you, brother.
0: And thank you for taking uh, the time today to do the show. I've uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks Jared for listening. Programming like this is made is available through your support. Satan, Information available God- at myfaithradio.com.